We are uh, just about done. There's only one lesson after this. Um, and so if you're interested in uh, joining the church at the end of it, let me know and we'll schedule a time and get together and visit. So I suppose you're the one. No pressure, right? Everybody look and <laughs> no, just even. But um, they give us an opportunity to just answer any other questions there are and uh, get all the information that's pertinent as well. We're on kind of one of the ones that oftentimes there's more discussion about than others, and that's the Lord's Supper. Um, you'll see there's not as much here on the sheet, but um, what's not here on the sheet is, you know, we can talk a, a lot more about it uh, as we look at what other churches believe. Um, the Lord's Supper is uh, one of the sacraments. It's the way God gives forgiveness to us here, just like in baptism and in the spoken word, God also gives uh, forgiveness of sins through the Lord's Supper, which is why we do it so often. Uh, it's good to have the Lord's Supper as often as possible and receive that gift over and over and over again. Uh, it's one of the ones that we have... Um, many different views in the wider Christendom um, that we'll talk about as we get there a little bit further. And that's where it says real presence on your sheet. Before we do that, uh, let's go ahead and read Matthew 26, 26 through 29. Uh, underneath what is the Lord's Supper, these are the words of institution, or as we say in Latin, they're the verba, the words. And this is where Christ... Um, records for us his teaching about the Lord's Supper. It is also then you see in Mark 14, Luke 22, and then St. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and he probably writes that epistle, um, we estimate, as early as uh, 55, uh, or maybe even a little earlier, A.D., and so it would be... 20 years or so after Jesus spoke the words that uh, for sure they are written down at that point um, by St. Paul. And so the Lord's Supper, we can trace historically to all the way back in the very beginning of the church. Um, I think that's, that's an important thing to say. It's not a, a later invention of the church. It is something Christ himself instituted, and the, the record of that is very, very early as well. So that'd be like um, writing about, we've been watching uh, Friends, my wife and I, the reruns. Did you know that that's 25 years old now, the first season? So that'd be like me writing about an episode of Friends, you know, uh, that happened 25 years ago. I can give a pretty good account of some of those things because they are within my lifespan, and people who watched it originally can talk to me about it. And the same thing then with the Lord's Supper. Eyewitnesses are able to talk to Paul as he records those words for us, um, let alone Matthew and uh, Mark. So let's go ahead and read the words. Uh, Matthew 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. All right. Those are the words which lay the foundation for the Lord's Supper and which when we have questions about the Lord's Supper, these are the first words that we look at. Um, they are where we have to go. There's lots of places that maybe allude to the Lord's Supper in Scripture uh, or maybe give us additional details, but we can't understand those until we understand these words. This takes place in the setting of the... Um, Passover meal. Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room, um, and a part of the Passover meal is they ate bread and they drank cups of wine, and that's exactly what he's doing. The bread is unleavened bread, uh, which is why when we do the Lord's Supper, we also use unleavened bread. That you notice. There's not big air pockets. It's not like uh, Wonder Bread that you buy at the store. Do they still sell Wonder Bread? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I. <laughs> <laughs> shopping for bread that often. We, um, so it's unleavened, meaning there's no raising in it, kind of like a pita bread sort of thing, which is sort of like we use here at church as well. Uh, he takes the bread, he lifts the bread up uh, and blesses it and says, this is my body. He takes the cup and the... Um, I've heard the argument, you know, what's in the cup. The, uh, the construction in uh, Greek tells us that um, when he's taking the cup, it means the stuff that's in the cup that he's drinking. It's not drinking the cup. I've had that argument before. It's the stuff that's in the cup. And at the Passover meal, the thing in the cup would be wine. Uh, and so he's drinking wine, and he holds it up, and he says, this is my blood. Uh, and then he goes on and he says, when you eat and you drink, what are you getting? It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Um, and so that's the foundation there. Christ says, the bread is my body. He says, the cup is my blood. And it's for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? Now, that right there is what we as Lutherans believe that the bread is the body, the wine is the blood, and it's for the forgiveness of sins. Can we figure out how that happens? Can I get a microscope out and look at the bread and say, look, there's somebody's DNA in here and it's, you know, no. Uh, can I... Uh, pour the blood into a, a, a dying person's bloodstream, and now they'll, oh, look, we've restored the blood in them, they'll live, you know. No. I mean, they might be a little tipsy or something, but um, no. We, we can't prove or explain how. All we know is what God says in Jesus. The bread is my body, the uh, wine is my blood, and that when we eat it, we get forgiveness of sins. The explanation part is beyond us, but we take God at his word always. And therein lies where our differences with other people are. Our point of view we call the real present. Um, Christ's body is really present with the bread. Christ's blood is really present with the wine. That's what we as Lutherans teach and believe because it's what Scripture says. Okay, so real quick, do we understand the Lutheran perspective there? Um, on the back you see kind of uh, in the middle of the page, on page 38, 
There's really two other views on the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Roman Catholic view and the everybody else or the Reformed view. Okay? Um, the Roman Catholic Church teaches what they call transubstantiation, which uses uh, the philosophy of a guy who lived 300 years, 400 years before Jesus named Aristotle. And Aristotle was trying to explain the world, right? So how do we know that this is a chair right here? And he'd say, well, you look at it, and its shape is a chair shape. And if I look at the things that it's made out of, it's made out of chair stuff. And if I were to call the person who built it, they would say, I built a chair. And they took the wood and the cloth and the metal, and they made those pieces into a chair. He calls these causes. Um, material cause is the stuff it's made out of. A formal cause is what shape it's in. Um, that's the way Aristotle was trying to explain the whole world. And so the same thing is true for, for each of you, you know. Uh, she's got the shape of a girl. She's made of girl stuff. Uh, he's got the shape of a boy. He's made of boy stuff. They're both made of human stuff. And they have the shape of humans, right? Whereas Jim, on, oh, just do <laughs> That's the way Aristotle is explaining everything uh, that exists. That's how you know what something is. And you think about it, you know, you look at a dog, you look at a chihuahua, you know that it's a dog. You look at a St. Bernard and you know that it's a dog. But they don't look anything like each other. He's trying to explain how your brain understands that they are both dogs. In the 1100s and 1200s, there was a man named St. Thomas Aquinas who took this idea of Aristotle and applied it to the Lord's Supper. And so he said, when you have the bread on the altar, how do you know that it's bread? Because it looks like bread, and it's made out of bread stuff, and somebody baked it out of flour into bread. When you have wine on the altar, you look at it and you say, it looks like wine, it's made out of wine, it's wine. And he said, I think I can explain how God does the Lord's Supper. When the priest says the magic words, and the altar boys ring the bell. When that moment happens, God takes the stuff out and replaces it with Christ's body. Even though it still looks the same uh, and appears the same and tastes the same and all that, God, through those words, changed the substance into Christ's body. Same with the wine. When the priest says the magic words, God leaves it looking and tasting and smelling the same, but he takes the stuff out and he replaces it with Christ's blood. Okay? And so they would say, Christ's body is present, Christ's blood is present, but to get there, they use Aristotelian philosophy. 
from 400 years before Jesus. Um, we disagree, right? Because we would say there's absolutely no way you understand how it happens. God doesn't tell us. There's no place in Scripture where God says, I just magically changed the substance because Aristotle was right. Um, it's a miracle that's beyond our comprehension. So we disagree with the Catholics that it is a philosophical event that's taking place in the Lord's Supper. We just say, God does it, and I don't know how. Okay, are you following me on the Catholic? Because I see lots of confusion, maybe. Okay, maybe we're just bored with Aristotle, right? <laughs> okay. Quick question. Um, in the Catholic Church, I believe that they give them only the blood or the the bread. Yes. Is that correct. Yes. Um, so where does that leave the blood? Right. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. No, that's a good question. <laughs> the teaching of transubstantiation comes in where they they believe. Before that, before Thomas Aquinas, they basically believed what we believe, right? That um, the body's present and the blood's present. We don't know how. Who knows? Thomas Aquinas comes on and explains it using philosophy. And it's a time of scholasticism as well where there's lots more questions that come about through using this philosophy that we just don't know the answers to and we can't find the answers to. At the same time, then, knowing that it's Christ's blood that's in the cup... And knowing that you have all these poor, dirty peasants in that time, this is the Middle Ages, uh, they started to make the decision that we don't want these poor, dirty peasants accidentally spilling Christ's blood onto the floor. Because then what do you do? You've got Christ's blood on the ground here. Um, Luther is famous for when he did the first time, he did the Mass, he spilled the wine, and he got down on the floor and licked it up off the floor. right? And the priest said... That's kind of gross. I don't want to do that often. <laughs> and so they, they also, you know, priests uh, saw the, the peasants coming up for the Lord's Supper, and when's the last time they took a bath? Right? And they had these big, scraggly beards with whiskers getting in the, the wine, and it was hanging there and dripping down as they walked away. Um, the priests looked at all that, and they said, Christ's blood is too precious for these people to be coming into contact with it and spilling it all over the place and getting it dirty with their germs. So they, using philosophy again, they, they said, it's okay, what we'll do is we won't give them the wine. We'll just give them the bread. And they justified it to themselves in this way. If I were to take Jim and cut off his arm to eat it, even after I cut it off, what is still in there? Right? You see this with your pork chop or your, your T-bone, right? You, you get it from the, the butcher. They put it on that special little styrofoam tray with the little plastic thing underneath it that absorbs the the blood. Because in the meat, there's still... Blood, right? And that's the best way to eat your T-bone, right? Is medium rare, still with the blood and the juice in the inside, right? Mm. Right down. Are we still talking about steak or my arm? I'm a little disturbed here. <clears throat> <laughs> so, 
They said, if Christ's body is really present in there, without blood, it's no good. So just like in your body there's blood, in Christ's body there's blood, and so you don't need to drink the wine and spill it because it's too precious, but you're still getting it in Christ's body. What's the problem with that? It's not what Scripture says. That's right. Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. He didn't say, some of you take and drink, this is my blood. The rest of you poor, dirty peasants, take and eat, this is my body. He said to everyone, take and do both. And so that's where it comes from. It's one of the things that when, when uh, the Lutheran church came about, we said, we're going to go with what Scripture says. Christ says, take both. And so we do both. So that was a, a long answer for a short question. Is that it? Yeah, I just have family that does that. Right. I wouldn't go to them and say, the reason you can't have the wine is because they think you're a poor, dirty peasant. <laughs> That's where it began. And it's carrying on to this day. Other questions about the Catholic perspective. Okay. The other perspective is the Reformed one, and most people in the United States believe this one. And it's based off of the teachings um, of a guy named Ehrlich Zwingli, um, who lived at the same time as Martin Luther. And it's come into the Reformed Church in Calvin and all those who are basically Protestants that are not Lutherans. Um, and this is the view that... There's so many little caveats in all the different churches. To begin with, the Reformed would say, when Jesus died and rose again, what did he do later? He ascended up into heaven and he's up there in heaven right now and always will be okay and this has to do with the sovereignty of God he's up there in heaven and since he's up there in heaven he cannot be in the bread or in the wine because unless I cut Jim's arm off Jim is always in one place and Jesus is in one place in heaven as a result they say the words of institution are not take and eat this is my body or take and drink this is my blood but rather they change the word is to mean represents yeah how do they get around then uh, Jesus appearing to Saul on the Damascus Road? That is a good question that I would have to ask one of them. Um, I've never taken that tact in a discussion with them about it before. I'll, I'll have to, or even when um, Stephen is being stoned and he sees the picture of heaven here on earth, I would also say, the day of resurrection, Jesus appears in more than one place at one time, right? Because <laughs> he's on the road to Damascus, the same time that he's talking with the disciples in the upper room, and um, 
we have no problem with that because we understand Jesus to be who? Christ and, and God and being all places at the same time. And so, you know, for us, it's no big deal that he's in heaven and at church and in the bread and in the wine. And we would even say, we would have no problem saying that if you get the smallest teeny tiny crumb of bread, that all of Jesus is present in that teeny tiny little piece of bread. And if you take just a teeny tiny sip of wine, like, you know, we have some of the, the ladies who are, are pregnant and they just barely take a teeny tiny sip versus we have some people that take a big swig, right? <laughs> um, either way, you're getting the whole Jesus and all the forgiveness that's there. We have no problem with that. The root behind this idea is what we call rationalism, that a human being, even Jesus, uh, who's, they wouldn't deny that he's God, but they would say when he takes on human flesh, he's stuck in that human. And humans can't be more than one place at one time because it doesn't make sense. And therefore, God's in heaven, and this bread only represents his body. And this wine, or grape juice, only represents his blood. And that's the thing that they say. Now, there's different little, like I said, every little church is different a little bit. Um, there are some who say it is merely a representation, and it isn't anything special, which then also denies the words of Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. Um, for example, the church I grew up in, um, they just, they said it's bread and wine, and when you eat it, you remember Jesus' body and blood. And that by remembering, that's good for you. Is there a, an argument from said Protestants about the Bible passage that says where two or three are gathered, there I am? I mean, that also points to omnipresence. Have you had any discussions with anybody? About In that, that one, I'd say they would have no problem saying that about God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But Jesus in his human nature is stuck in heaven. That puts a limitation on God. Well, um, I agree. Now, before we get... So there's the people who see it merely as a re representation. On the other hand, there are some in that same fold who say, God or Jesus is in heaven, and when I go up and I take the Lord's Supper, he doesn't come down to me, but I am going up to him. Okay? That I'm ascending into heaven and eating him there. Which is maybe a little better, but still... Still not quite what scripture says, because it's still denying that it's the bread in which Christ's body is, and it's the wine in which Christ's blood is. And the, the thing that we as Lutherans want to do is we just say, here's what God's word says, we're going to believe it because it's God's word, without trying to comprehend or understand or put it into human terms that we can explain. And that's where... Both, we would say, both the Catholic and the Reformed positions are wrong. They're using human reason to explain a miracle that God is working. And, and that's where we have a challenge with it. And that's why we reject both of those and stick with what we believe, teach, and confess. Um, 
All right. Questions about that beyond that? Uh, another question is, what does the Greek say when Jesus says, this is my body? So the word is what I'm focusing on. Yeah. What's the Greek there? It, in the Greek, it uses the word estin, which is the third person to be verb, right? This thing is my my body this thing is my blood um so i can even read it to you here if you want in what they do then is they there are some who redefine the word and say the word is means represents it doesn't mean is it just represents and they say for example jesus says uh, i am the sheep gate right, in the Gospel of John. And Jesus isn't a sheep gate, so obviously the word means represents. But what's Jesus saying there? You get to heaven through me. And so that is the truth. He is the sheep gate, the way into heaven. Or there are those who say, what we can do is if Jesus was a Jewish person, so he would have been speaking these words in Aramaic, or Hebrew, not in Greek. And in the uh, Hebrew, you don't use the word is in places like that. You just put the two nominative words, the, the, um, the nouns, next to each other, and it's implied that they are the same thing, like uh, big pastor. So the pastor is big. And so they say, if Jesus was speaking this in Hebrew, he wouldn't have used the word is. He would have just said, body, bread. There are those then who also say, Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, and then he said, this is my body. Like he pointed at himself and put down the bread when he said, take and eat. This is my body. And just picture that in your mind and say, does that make logical sense when you read the words? The antecedent implying the thing that Jesus is talking about is the bread itself. And it's, then he took the cup and he held it up and said, this cup is, or this is a cup, set it down. And then he came over here and he said, this is my blood. What's the problem with that one? If Jesus' blood, if he's pointing to his blood, it must be on his outside somehow, right? And that's not until later that that happens. So behind all of it is trying to use human rationalism to explain what Jesus, the Son of God, is doing in this, this thing. So this might be then deviating a little bit from your topic, but if... <laughs> They don't take it literally that this is Christ's body and blood, but then they take Revelation literally. How do we know what to take literally and figuratively? How do we know? Maybe, I mean, we could talk for a whole day on that. Um, the, the way that we know that Revelation is to be interpreted... Um, I don't want to say metaphorically, but is that St. John at the beginning of it says, I was in the Lord and I had a vision, and here's the vision. 
Whereas Jesus never says, this is a vision or anything like that. And John says it repeatedly in the book of Revelation because he keeps on saying, and then I saw, and then I saw, and then I saw. And we have to understand, too, for uh, 1,850 years, all Christians understood the book of Revelation the same as a cyclic vision of what's going on in the life of the church from the time of the ascension until the end, and that we're stuck in that somewhere on that line. Um, I don't know. Yeah, and there are times where Jesus tells parables, and it's very clearly that he's telling a parable to help us understand. Yes. It's definitely not one of those times. Scripture does not leave those things uh, up in the air. It always explains when there's a vision or a parable. Um, and even when Jesus tells a parable and it doesn't say, then he told them a parable, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. And that right there in the construction in the Greek tells you that this is a, in that case, I would say definitely a metaphor uh, or a uh, synecdoche or what are the other ones? I'm not an English teacher, anybody? No? Okay. Yeah, so Jesus doesn't say, this is like my body, this is like my body, this is. Right, this is. And the, so in the Greek, let me pull it up here again. Um, after they had eaten, took the bread, Jesus did. Um, he blessed it, and he says, Labeta fageta tuta estin to soma mu. Take labeta fageta eat. This is my body. So, I mean, it's, if we take him at his word, what he's saying, and we don't add any human reason to it, what he's saying is very clear. All right. Questions? Now, uh, it says in here in your, your study sheet, what are we eating then? When we go to the Lord's Supper, we're eating bread and wine. Because unlike the Catholics, we don't say God makes those disappear into nowhereness. Uh, we're eating bread and wine, and we're also eating body and blood. And we don't know how. We can't explain it. All we know is that that's what Jesus says. Okay? So we're eating those things. There's another aspect to the Lord's Supper that maybe we can get at least started into, and it'll take a little bit more discussion probably. And that's what is happening in the Lord's Supper. Um, we, we've been talking so far, what's God doing in the Lord's Supper? He's bringing Jesus down, putting it in bread and wine for us to eat and drink. We also have to talk about it in terms of what's it doing with our fellow Christians as we come to the Lord's Supper. Okay, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians um, 10 um, when he, he talks about, you see there on page 37, um, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. And he, that whole discussion there in 1 Corinthians also continues. He says, let someone examine themselves before they come to Lord's Supper um, so that they understand why they're coming, what they're getting, and what they believe, teach, and confess about that. 
When we go to the Lord's Supper, we're not only getting what God's giving, we're also confessing outwardly that we are united together into one faith, that we believe the same thing about um, the Lord's Supper and who's in it, which is Jesus. And if we're confessing that we believe Jesus is there, we also are confessing at the same time all the other things that Jesus taught. It's kind of like um, Martin Luther called it a golden ring that um, is perfect and round and beautiful to look at, right? Like a ring on your finger. Right? <laughs> um, that's what our theology is, and it's all about Jesus. I think a, a good example to it would be a spider web. Um, you have a spider web out your window that you look at, and in the middle is Jesus. Okay, and everything that we believe, teach, and confess is about Jesus. If I were to go out there and cut one of the threads, what happens to the spider web? It kind of moves to wherever now the tension's being held uh, together. And when you do that, the center of what your spider web is at moves as well. Our theology is the same way. Everything's about Jesus. If we take away one part, say we decide to stop baptizing people, that makes all of our theology shift so that Jesus is no longer at the center. Um, that's the reason that we, we practice what we call closed communion. We want to be in fellowship on all the same, all on the same page when we come to the Lord's Supper so that we're confessing that we are united in faith and that we are, as Paul writes there, one body of Christ, not multiple bodies of Christ. We're not saying those who don't come to the Lord's Supper are not Christians, right? So you've been coming to our church for a while. Has anybody ever said you're a, a rotten heathen who's... I hope not. Oh, okay. Good. You're always nervous when you ask that as a pastor. You know? we're, we're not saying that, but what we're saying is we're not completely on the same page yet. We haven't had the opportunity to uh, examine all the things we believe, teach, confess, and see if we're on the same page. We do that with all of our kids, too, right? And what do we call that? Catechism. Catechism, confirmation, right? We want to teach them all the things we believe, teach, confess, so that they're on the same page as us when they come to the Lord's Supper. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians um, that eating and drinking without recognizing the body... And you can imply there the body of Christ in the Lord's Supper and also the body of Christ in the fellow Christians. Uh, you can eat and drink to your spiritual damnation. And he says that's the reason some of you have died. And, and so that's, we take that serious because it's in Scripture. And maybe a way to think about it is the pharmacist at Walgreens, right? You can't go into Walgreens and say... I, I used this in the sermon a couple weeks ago. I want morphine, and I want it now. <laughs> right? They will look at you and say, where's your prescription? And maybe even Walgreens doesn't even carry morphine, because I think you might only get that in the hospital under a physician's care. They don't just hand out things without first examining you and finding out why are you asking for the thing you want. Do you have um, a prescription? Do you understand what it's doing? And that's the other thing. When you get the the drugs say you do have a prescription, what do they always do before they let you go home? Make sure you eat it with food, drink a whole glass of water, don't take it right before bed because, you know, I don't know, 
Okay, here's some of the side effects to watch for. If you notice any of these side effects, stop taking it and contact your doctor. Right? It's a good thing in the right way. In the wrong way, it can hurt or harm you. That's the same thing with the Lord's Supper, and that's why we practice closed communion. Not to tell people they're going to hell or unchristian, but because we want to use the good gift of God the way that God wishes it to be used, to the very best of our human ability. Questions? It's not really on closed communion, but I once heard a Lutheran pastor say that in the Lord's Supper, when we receive it, that we gather together in the body of Christ, and that we gather together with the saints from before, during, and after our time. Is that... Is that true, and where does that come from, 1 Corinthians 10? Where does that come from? It, um, it is true. It is a foretaste of the wedding feast that is to come. And so when we take and eat the body and blood of Jesus, we are uh, eating heaven here on earth, the, the feast that is there. And so your loved one who died in the faith they're experiencing it in its reality right now in heaven. We're eating it with, um, with veiled eyes, if you will. We don't see what they see when we're eating the Lord's Supper, but they are partaking of the same meal, which is Christ and the grace and love and mercy that he gives. That's the reason then some churches have the altar rail that goes into the wall with the idea that it's really a circle and our loved ones are on the other side. And we say that um, in the words of the liturgy as well, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing. That's that participation. We're, we're getting heaven on earth here in this meal. Uh, and so it's taught in lots of different places in little snippets like that. No. All right. We'll start again next week. And, and if you have a question about this, let me know. We'll start again next week and, and wrap the Lord's Supper up. So there's a little more we need to say. And then we'll start the, the last session, too. <laughs> it's a miracle. Right? No. Yeah. Just so well, let's go ahead and we'll close the Lord's Prayer. And then we'll uh, head off to the next thing. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.